Hello and welcome along to the latest episode of the RacingNews365.com Formula One podcast. My name is Michael Butterworth and as ever I'm joined by Dieter Renken, Editorial Director of Racing News 365. Uh, hi Michael, hi listeners. Um, yeah, great to be here a week before the uh, Saudi Grand Prix. Really looking forward to it on my way on Wednesday morning. Yeah, well, we've had no Grand Prix over the past weekend, uh, so uh, no Grand Prix to pick over the bones of on this Monday. But we have had uh, a few interesting off-track issues to discuss. Uh, Dieter, just one race into the season, and we're already seeing uh, some personnel changes between the, between the teams. A little bit of moving and shaking going on behind the scenes. Absolutely, and also a lot of rumours about some others. I mean, obviously, there's the David Sanchez news, which we brought on Thursday. David Sanchez being the head of vehicle concepts at, at Ferrari. Uh, I'm told by Italian sources that he'll be joining McLaren by the end of this year, potentially early next year, depending on what sort of uh, guarding leave negotiations they can affect. However, um, I think it's it's uh, significant that somebody is moving from Ferrari to McLaren. Let's not forget Ferrari is a sort of the super mythical team. And when somebody goes to McLaren, which at the moment is battling, it points to an awful lot of ambition on the part of that engineer. Where what he's saying is, this is where I can really make my name. David Sanchez, at, as of now, we don't have any information as to his exact job description or role. I believe it's part of a far broader uh, rearrangement within the McLaren technical department. I'm sure we all know a bit more down the road. Yeah, and of course, David Sanchez and Andrea Stella would be known to each other from having worked together at Ferrari all those years ago. Um, and Andrea Stella, talking about people going from Ferrari to McLaren, he himself did that in 2015 when he moved over along with Fernando Alonso. Absolutely. And of course, Andrea, now team principal, although he was originally the sort of trackside operations director, etc. So he's worked his way up the ranks there. And uh, Andrea Seidel, of course, left and went to Audi. Andrea Stella uh, filled that gap. So there's been, been an awful lot of movement. I'm also hearing out in the marketplace, although I will stress that Mercedes have denied it, but I did hear that uh, Mike Elliott, who's the uh, technical director for the Mercedes team, could also be parting ways with the team. However, I stress again, Mercedes have denied it, saying that he will be in Saudi this week. However, normally, once these rumors start, they sort of get a life of their own. So that will be a very interesting one to watch and see how that develops. If that should eventuate, I can imagine that uh, James Allison, who, of course, is the chief technical officer, had been uh, technical director, then moved on to broader Mercedes applied science uh, projects such as the yachting and cycling and whatever. I can imagine him coming back and taking a far more hands-on role. Yeah, Mike Elliott and Mercedes uh, probably under quite a bit of scrutiny at the moment with the W14 not really seeming to be uh, an, a front runner. And in fact, Mercedes, let's stick with them now because they took what I thought was a pretty unusual step of uh, issuing that open letter to the fans and to followers and of Mercedes and of Formula One after the Bahrain Grand Prix. Uh, where, well, amongst other things, they were explaining away their poor performance saying how they won't panic or make any knee-jerk reactions. But it seems to me that writing a letter after one Grand Prix of a season is doing exactly that, panicking and making knee-jerk reactions. I wondered, Dieter, what you made of all of that. Well, the, the first intriguing thing was that after testing, I was told that um, a rather hard-hitting letter had been written to the staff. 
Again, this was sort of background gossip, so to speak. I have tried to get hold of a copy or certainly get confirmation. I wasn't able to do that, but my source was absolutely adamant that a fairly hard-hitting letter had been written to, to some staff members, if not all, expressing uh, some disappointment in the car's performance during testing. Then we have this open letter, and it's almost as though it's gone from this extreme to that extreme. So um, it's a very interesting uh, strategy tactic, and I think it's aimed fundamentally at appeasing Lewis as well. Lewis, of course, has been very, very outspoken, saying they didn't listen to him about the car, etc. Um, I do know that a, a colleague of mine uh, attended the uh, the launch of the uh, Ineos Grenadier, the uh, the four by four vehicle produced by um, a Grenadier, which belongs to one-third Mercedes F1 team uh, shareholder, um, Jim Radcliffe, Sir Jim Radcliffe, who owns the Ineos Group. And during this, he was asked about the Mercedes, and he said, yes, the concept had come up during discussions late last year, and they'd agreed to continue with this concept. Why? I don't know. It just makes no sense. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it didn't work last year, so why should it work this year? Yeah, those comments from Hamilton, um, th that gained a lot of traction. It's pretty surprising to hear him being openly so critical. You know, whenever we hear him after the race, he's always talking about how grateful he is for the work of the men and the women back at the factory. And, okay, to be fair, for most of the last seven years, they've had a, lo a lot of success. And it's only in the last maybe couple of years that uh, they've slipped back a little bit. But I, I was uh, personally, I was surprised to hear him saying so publicly that, that, that he was this critical of, of, of Mercedes and of the design team and saying how they should have listened to me. I know what makes a car go fast. I've driven all these cars and all of this. Uh, yes and no. I mean, first of all, you know, a good loser is a loser, full stop. And, you know, the one thing that, that Lewis has never been is a, lo a loser. So from that perspective, I can understand his frustrations. Secondly, you know, it's all very well to, to give sweet talk in public if the fans don't believe it, you know, why bother? So I think that, you know, I think Lewis's strategy is to actually try and drive the team forward by doing it very publicly. Yes, it is a different uh, a different approach to, to what he'd done in the past. But as you correctly say, they've been very, very successful. So there really wasn't any reason for criticism. But let's not forget, we've had the, the odd race in the past where they have had uh, certain strategic issues. I think of some of the Singapore Grand Prix, for example, he was certainly outspoken then. So, you know, from, from that perspective, I'm not surprised that, that he's done this. Uh, certain sectors of the media are taking this as sign of a rift between Mercedes and, and, um, and Lewis. I don't quite see it that way yet. What I do see it though is a, almost a cry of desperation as a driver realizes that he is not going to win an eighth championship anytime soon. And of course, he's out of contract uh, at the end of this year as well. Um, we talked about this last time, but uh, with him being this outspoken, can you see a scenario where he doesn't extend his deal with Mercedes? It depends on how it goes by the time, you know, you've got to put pen to paper. You know, let's not forget, um, you know, Fernando Alonso has been outspoken about all sorts of teams in the past, and he's gone back. He went back to Renault. He went... He, uh, in fact, three times. He, well, he was at Renault three times. He went back to McLaren. He was there twice. Um, and, you know, each time there'd been a bit of a, an acrimonious split. So, you know, under the circumstances in Formula One, if you're the best driver or one of the best and one of the best cars is on offer, believe me, differences are put aside. 
Yeah, and Alonso certainly seems to have made the right call uh, in joining Aston Martin. They're well up there at the moment, of course, in finishing third and his uh, first appearance for Aston Martin, who do seem to have made a big step forward over the winter break. But from uh, looking at some of the teams currently on the grid to one of the teams that may be on the grid in the, in the future, uh, we wrote a day or two ago on the RacingNews365.com website about one of the uh, the candidate teams, the one of the teams looking to join F1, hiring some key technical personnel. We believe that this is uh, the Andretti team. Uh, but Dieter, maybe you can shed a little bit more light on this for us. Uh, yes, Michael. I'd heard about it in uh, in Bahrain during the race weekend that a, can I call it an advance party for one of the candidate teams, had already started doing various aerodynamic studies based on what they already know about 2026 regulations, etc., and that they were, in fact, uh, aiming to use the Alpine wind tunnel. Uh, this sort of made me connect the dots, saying that that can only be uh, Andretti because we know that they've been looking at a technical cooperation with Alpine. Apart from that, this particular operation is operating out of Banbury, which is where the Andretti Formula E team is based. So the dots sort of start connecting. I did ask the team in, in Bahrain. I uh, got sort of vague messages before I was be before I was told no, there is no no aero team using our wind tunnel at the moment. Um, but maybe just maybe uh, this could be camouflaged by saying, oh well, you know, we didn't realise it's a Formula One team or whatever the case may be. I don't know, but certainly this uh, operation called Top Tier Team Motorsport is recruiting aerodynamicists, designers, engineers, and whatever. It's all on LinkedIn. Um, the technical director is Nick Chester, who'd previously been the Alpine, and I think this is significant, the Alpine technical director. He then went to the Mercedes Formula E team, which is where he would have come into the orbit of Andretti through their Formula E team. Um, the um, the uh, chief designer is, is John McQuillam. The aerodynamicist is John Tomlinson, very well-known people. Uh, these these aren't the sort of people who would suddenly set up on their own on a spec basis. Somebody must be funding them. And right now, the pointers are that it's Andretti. I have asked for further information. It wasn't forthcoming. However, who knows? Uh, we'll see how that one un unravels. Yeah, Andretti having announced uh, several uh, weeks and months ago that uh, they've signed a, an agreement with GM to, to partner up with them. So clearly very serious about uh, about joining the Formula One grid. We've heard from Mario Andretti on several occasions uh, emphasizing that the, the, the team is a serious operation and very, very ready to join the grid. There's been a lot of opposition from within the F1 grid. Uh, within the existing teams towards Andretti coming in and being that 11th team. But what we also now know is that uh, uh, Red Bull may be putting Alpha Tauri up for sale or at least trying to relocate it, if they can't sell it, relocating it to, to England. Now, if they were to put it up for sale, um, could we see a situation where Andretti bought the Alpha Tauri entry so that then they wouldn't be a new entry? They wouldn't also then presumably have to pay the $200 million uh, anti-dilution fee. Would that be an easy way into Formula One for Andretti? Well, it's never easy. Um, I think the first thing to consider is whether Andretti would like to be based in Faenza in Italy. Uh, so are they just simply buying an entry and then have to end up closing this operation down in Faenza, potentially putting 500 people out of work if they don't want to move to wherever Andretti would like the base? Let's not forget the UK is Formula One Silicon Valley. 
So, you know, it hardly makes sense to buy a place down in Italy and then move everybody across the UK, disrupt their family lives and whatever. A lot of people wouldn't go. When you buy a team, you're buying not only an entry. You're buying all the um, the bricks and mortar. You're buying the, the facilities, the infrastructure. But above all, you're buying the human expertise. And, you know, to then turn around and say to people, well, you know, you're Italian, but I want you to move to England under Brexit, I think is a big ask. So I don't think that that is a viable, um, a, a viable solution for them. Who knows? Somebody may do that. I believe that some of the other teams have been looking at it, some of the other candidate teams, that is. Um, I've also been told that Alpha Tauri is definitely not for sale. Then I was told it's not for sale yet. So who knows exactly what the true situation is? Yeah, it was only after the death of Dietrich Mateschitz that it was rumored that Alpha Tauri may be for sale. So are people just putting two and two together and making five here? Well, probably four and a half. Well, we've got the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix coming up, Dieter, the second race of the 2023 season. After the uh, Bahrain Grand Prix podcast, we spoke about the knee-jerk reactions that we'd seen from uh, from people up and down the paddock with Red Bull having dominated, scoring a 1-2 finish. Uh, obviously, a very different challenge at Saudi, a very, very fast circuit, probably the fastest circuit on the calendar at the moment. Uh, is this going to be another Red Bull cakewalk or are we going to see the likes of Ferrari, the likes of Mercedes, the likes of Aston Martin closing the gap on Verstappen and Perez? Well, first of all, we cannot discount Red Bull. That said, I do believe that, you know, all this talk about Red Bull winning all 23 races, one, two finishes in each of the races, etc. You know, I think that is knee jerk. Uh, uh, frankly, I cannot see that happening. Um, Bahrain has got very particular characteristics. It's a very abrasive circuit. It's also got a lot of low traction corners. And because of that, uh, I think the Red Bull excelled particularly well there. Um, I do believe that the characteristics are sufficiently different in Jeddah. And let's not forget, when I was there last year, October, they took me around the circuit. They showed me how they're reprofiling the circuit. Uh, certain areas have been re-asphalted, so the tarmac surface will be different. So there are so many changes that it's almost impossible. That said, I don't believe that, for example, you know, uh, Fernando Alonso is just going to be a shoo-in for third. Not at all. You know, I think we can see some reshuffling of the order. Let's not forget that at the time of, of Charles Leclerc's retirement, Fernando was behind him. So I think Ferrari can be very much in the mix. Um, uh, let's not forget that the Ferrari suffered with tyre degradation in, in Bahrain, which is when Fernando took Carlos Sainz. I don't think that degradation will be a major factor in, in Jeddah. I frankly believe we're in for a cracking race, particularly given the sort of high-speed spectacle that the uh, the Jeddah Corniche Street Circuit is. I mean, it really is a very, very, very fast circuit. Yeah, and certainly the potential for safety cars and things to shake the order up as well with those uh, uncompromising barriers <laughs> at just about every turn. Uh, but anyway, Dieter, you'll be off to Jeddah for us in just a few days. Uh, thank you so much for your insight. We'll be looking forward to hearing from you again after the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix. Absolutely. Look forward to it then. And if you'd like to hear more of Dieter's insights, you can follow him on Twitter at Racing Lines. And don't miss Dieter's diaries from F1 Race Weekends, which are published regularly on the RacingNews365.com website. That's it for this edition of the RacingNews365.com Formula One podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back after the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix.